Hey listeners, welcome back to What We've Been Watching. I'm Laurie. I'm Phil. And we've got four more movie reviews for you. Not at the cinema, on DVD, on streaming. Get some recommendations for the weekend. This is literally what we've been watching this week. It is. Are you enjoying it that we I, I've sort of perfected that down to a little soundbite now? Yeah. At the yeah, start of every episode. It's, it's great. Great. Okay, well listeners, you'll know this is coming out on Friday, I can't remember, the 16th of December or something. Something like that. Rogue One is out in cinemas, that's all everyone is talking about, and we have talked about it as well. We've recorded our Rogue One stuff just before recording this episode of What We've Been Watching, and if you're interested in our thoughts on it, we've done a separate spoiler-free review, and then another separate spoiler-full edition where we, you know, say exactly what we thought with all the plot points revealed. So check out the Super Bailey Bros podcast for thoughts on Rogue One, but if you're interested in more ordinary movies stick here for the next I don't know half an hour or so yeah roughly half an hour I think we've got it quite good at getting in that half an hour slot more or less Phil what are your movies Uh, my movies this week are a Studio Ghibli film Porco Rosso I think it's probably one of the more niche ones Mm -hmm. about uh, a flying pig believe it or not Yeah, and then also Die Hard John McClane Bruce Willis classic Christmas movie as we discussed on our BBC Oxford Christmas special yes 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 little teaser for you okay thanks Phil and my two are Entrapment starring Catherine Zeta-Jones and Sean Connery as Super Thieves and then I'm also going to do Attack the Block which is Joe Cornish's directorial debut uh, out of Adam and Joe a great fun movie that also launched John Boyega's career and now he's now in Star Wars, so oh, look, it's, it's all, all tying oh, up together. You know, I'm seeing you know it's a big you know circle. It's a bit like that film Arrival, isn't it? Phil? Mm, exactly, okay, exactly. Well, so no. satisfying, so satisfying. <laughs> okay, so who should go first? I'm going to say you should go first. I'm going to say you between. should go first. Good sentence. I'm going to say you go. You go first. Okay, which film? You pick. All right. Why don't I do Entrapment? Cool. When fortune knocks, open the door. He is the ultimate thief. This is classic Mac. This was 70 stories up with smart glass windows at 400 pounds a pop. He's the best. The law can't catch him. We sent a couple of guys after him, and these were both good agents. They were both men. But she has a plan. What do you have in mind for bait? For the perfect trap. (laughs) Why are you following me? I've got a proposition for you. I'm a thief. I give you the world's tallest building at home of the International Clearance Bank. Do I have your attention now? Undivided. You are keeping it strictly business, right, man? Strictly. This is how it has to be. First we try. Then we trust. Has there ever been anyone you couldn't seduce? Did he take the bait? Big time. You change partners. To change the rules. Prepare to go offline. 35 seconds. Weren't we partners? You're playing both sides. This is called entrapment. No, actually it's called blackmail. Entrapment is what cops do to thieves. You coming? It's time to take your girlfriend out of the equation. Shut it down. Come on! Move it! I promise you, you'll have it all. This is big enough, man. It's never big enough. Well, what a silly trailer, but, you know, kind of fun as well. Mm, I'm getting the sense you quite like this movie. Yeah, you know what, Phil? I really do. I think 
the, the number one thing that really stands out in this movie is how good a lead actress Catherine Zeta-Jones was in her prime. I actually don't really know what happened to her career. She sort of went away She's when she married got married Michael to... Douglas. Yeah, to Michael Douglas. And she may even have had some trouble with mental health or something I'm like that. I'm not too sure, to be honest. But either way, yeah, she's just brilliant in this. So she stars as Virginia Baker, who works for a sort of insurance firm, I think it is, and is investigating theft uh, of significant art pieces. And she wants to put forward that she thinks it's this famous super thief, an old guy now. She reckons he's the culprit and convinces her boss, Hector, played by Will Patton, that she needs to go sort of undercover, infiltrate and discover this guy and find a way they can bring him down and track down all the sort of stolen things that he's done. Uh, and that super spy is Sean Connery playing Robert McDougall. <laughs> Fantastic. Mac. Scottish super sleuth. Yeah, Mac. And I think their chemistry is good, given the fact that he's much older and a bit grumpier. I think it's basically just because she is just so super charming. I think she could create chemistry out of nothing with anybody. She creates a lot of intensity, if I remember this film correctly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So what, what happens is they, they basically then proceed to go through several pretty elaborate heists and loads of double crosses, a huge amount of mistrust. You even start to think, is Catherine Zeta-Jones' character who she really says she is? Who is it who's really pulling the strings behind the scenes as well? Because you have other characters come in, like Ving Rhames, who seems to be an accomplice of Max as well, but he's a bit shrouded in mystery as well. And it all builds to a head with a never-before-done heist, which is to do with draining money out of loads of bank accounts on the stroke of the Millennium, Phil. You forget this is all around the Millennium. It's quite an old movie now. In Malaysia, right? Yeah, that's... Uh, I think it might... Yes, I think it might be Malaysia. I can never quite remember the, the, those sorts of Very tall building up there. Yeah, up yeah, there. a famous building. And... I love it. It's It sort of manages to be an action spectacular, which is odd when you consider the leads, old Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones, and the subject matter, which is about stealing stuff. There are those famous scenes with Catherine Zeta-Jones learning uh, a sort of maze of lasers and bending over them and doing sort of gymnastic-y stuff, which kind of has that slightly odd but quite on the right side of the line balance of sexiness, can I call it that? Sexy, yeah, it's sexy. It's movie. kind of it's kind of a bit old fashioned in its approach to it because it's not explicit and it's not gratuitous or exploitative. And actually, the reason it works is that her character is a master manipulator. And you realise that if you give in and think, "Whoa, she's an attractive lady," that means she's won and she's got you in the palm of her hand. And indeed, in the context of the film, that is what she's doing on Max, isn't he? Well, he's looking at her and, uh, and saying, "Oh, she's pretty toasty." And he's trying very hard to sort of stay professional, and you know the honour among thieves or whatever it is but then the whole point is they've got this weirdly combative there's relationship there's tension in there there's tension yeah I think it, it's quite cleverly scripted to the point where it's a little confusing and I remember seeing it first when we were quite young and not really having a clue what was going on but just in, enjoying the bit where they swing between the big poles of the famous building <laughs> you know and it, in my book actually that's the sign of a good film because it means a kid can enjoy it for its spectacle without needing to really get it all whereas an adult can also enjoy the sort of multi-layered mistrust and of the turns plot. and all sorts yeah. yeah i think it's really well made i think it looks fantastic and on top of that the heists themselves are really quite clever i was thinking about this we just saw inferno starring tom hanks and felicity jones uh, which has some really depressing heists which more or less amounts to tom hanks persuading the security guard to look the other way <laughs> while he just plucks it out of the, the thing and then runs off yeah, and there's a lot of films where the heist is the real centrepiece. Like, even Ocean's Eleven, right? Like, it's all a one massive heist. Whereas this film has no trouble doing, what is it, three about? It's three or four, I think. And, and it's three or four with, like, kind of ingenious plans and... Tw and, well, and sort of underwater scuba suits and things. Like, they don't skimp on the production values and the planning. Like, it's a really meticulously laid out movie. 
and the the two leads just make it enigmatic. Um, Sean Connery is really good as well. He retains some James Bondish charm, but it's almost like uh, once bitten, twice shy. He's really very withdrawn, and you kind of do want to see him come out of his shell a little bit. Mm. So that so that by the end of this film. Even if you're still a little confused about who's really who and what's really what, it's a satisfying experience, I think, from beginning to end. Like, for me, I reckon it's going to get an A minus, I'm going to say, actually. Wow. A minus. I've surprised myself by saying it, but it's out there now. <laughs> Can't take it back. Can't no, take it back. True. I always remember that DVD cover uh, that it had. Well, it was kind of rubbish, wasn't it? Because we had it on VHS, and it's really tacky. It's got like a giant Sean Connery face and <laughs> Kathy Jones. Jones sort of standing with her hips to one side, arms folded. Yeah, with like laser bolts darting all over the cover i uh i actually bought this dvd for a secret santa gift at once and it did not go down well i bought it from a charity <laughs> shop really? because I thought, oh it's a fun movie this is quite quirky it's only like a quid or whatever and then like the person who got it basically thought i bought some sort of sleazy dvd <laughs> because on the back of the cover it's just a big shot of Catherine jones's bum well, there you when go. she's this going over exactly the lasers I mean. and it, this is the thing because the film itself like you can't get away from that it's so knowingly does it but i reckon it does stay on the right side of the line However, yeah, maybe not the best Secret Santa gift. <laughs> there you go. Thanks very much, Laurie. No worries, man. Okay, do you want to do yours? Should I, should I start with Die Hard or start with Porco Rosso? I feel like Die Hard would be a fun one to end on. Yeah, yeah, let's do Porco Rosso, man. Porco Rosso. Porco Rosso, Miyazaki's soaring action adventure of a valiant pilot. Porco Rosso! Here we go. It is Porco. Transformed by a mysterious spell. I only look out for myself. And his heroic battles to rid the skies of notorious pirates. Slice up into bacon! Full of courage and humor. I'll tell everyone you're chicken! Chicken? Pig? What's the difference? <laughs> Take flight with the incredible Porco Rosso. The incredible Porco Rosso. Porco Rosso. Rosso. That's the old Disney guy. <laughs> That's from Disney's DHS. Yeah, DHS. <laughs> I messed up. Anyway, we could have played the you know original Japanese trailer there. No, no, no. It would have been pointless. Different vibe though. Come on, yeah, exactly. hit us with it. Sorry. Porco Rosso is one of the old ones from Hio Mezaki. Sorry, I'm thinking you mean Porco Rosso. <laughs> Porco Rosso. <laughs> uh, it's an older one from uh, the collection of Studio Ghibli films, directed by Hiao Miyazaki. Hayao Miyazaki. Hayao Miyazaki. And uh, he's the guy behind Spirited Away and lots of the famous Studio Ghibli films, which we've spoken about at length. Oh, we've done uh, yeah. a whole section Ad nauseam, on... probably. Mm, we've done a whole section on Studio Ghibli, but I watched this one recently and I thought I wanted to spend a bit of time on it because I don't think you're that much of a fan of it, are you? Oh, no, that's not true. I, I liked it. It's absolutely surreal. And I think it's one of those ones that's quite hard to access. Mm, I, I think that's kind of quite a good summaration, actually. Summaration. Summaration. Mm. <laughs> Let me give you a brief breakdown of the plot and uh, bear with me. It's kind of weird. So Porco Rosso is a flying ace flying over the Mediterranean seas or something like that. And he is a bounty hunter. He's trying to take down pirates, basically. Uh, who are attacking the sort of the waters of the area. He's sort of doing it illegally against the Italian army's wishes. And it just so happens that this guy is also a pig. He's been transformed into a pig. And that's just the way it is. But he was a man. And he was, he a, was a man. flying ace World War One or something, sort of biplane. Yeah, it? exactly. Like, and uh, he lives by his plane. He's a he's an excellent pilot. But he's also slightly awkward because he's a pig. And uh, he's slightly piggish and they constantly seem to make a joke of this in the film he's like you're acting like a pig he's isn't like well i am a pig isn't it because he did something bad or something and he got turned into a pig 
Well, it's kind of never really stated, which is mm. part of the charm of this film. Now, Hio Mizaki has actually said on record that he prefers the, I think it's the French dub of this film, not the original Japanese. But I've seen this one in English and it stars Michael Keaton as Porco Rosso. I really love the, the way that this film doesn't follow any sort of conventions that we would ever see in a normal film. It just blankly states, here's this guy, he's a pig, deal with it. And actually, there's a weird, a very bizarre sort of whimsy to this film. Uh, again, Miyazaki said that he, he he slightly regrets this film because he made an adult, adult film for children, is what he said. Oh, uh, right. And, it, and it's kind of true because there's a real joy about it. There's very little threat, there's very little danger to this this movie. And instead, you have this sort of hero who's distanced by his affliction. He, he keeps people at bay and... Yet somehow he gets stuck in these various little episodes with these pirates and he goes off to a town which he's not allowed to go in because there's, there's, a, there's a bounty on his head and things like that. And he, he meets uh, an inventor of a brilliant plane and he learns how to, to fly this brand new plane. And all of it is just sort of bizarrely like a fable or like a, like a fairy tale. So it sounds a bit like a kid's storybook almost, to be honest. Yeah, like a kid's storybook is a really good comparison. But at the same time, it's set in quite a realistic setting. It's set in quite a, a really re- well-realised world. And uh, the main conflict, I'd say, it comes from Porco Rosso having to challenge another flying ace who seems to be causing a lot of trouble for him and his business. And Curtis. Yeah, Curtis the you American. Know, that's voiced by Kerry Ulwes or Elwes or Ulwes. I never know how to pronounce his surname, but he's the guy in The Princess Bride. I, you, I don't think you'd ever realise that from his voice. Though. No, his voice no. is very sort of caricature I think this film is worth seeing because it is just so warm and fun and it doesn't really need to follow any rules. It kind of washes over you like a warm, colourful fable. A, a sort of waking dream almost. Very much so, very much so. And actually, you kind of get used to him being a pig and you think, oh, he's quite cool. Well, I mean, the way you're describing it, it doesn't sound like there's a very tight narrative or plot. Is that the kind of thing that'll frustrate uh, plot-driven viewers and even young children, for example? I, I think it could do. I think, I mean, I watched it a couple of my friends and they're sort of saying, what, what, why is he a pig? Why, what, what? <laughs> and he couldn't get past And that. I was like, I don't think you're ever going to find out, man. I don't think you need to know. Uh, you do find out bits about Porco Rosso as a person and um, some of the complexities to his character, believe it or not. But the actual pig element isn't really part of it. Isn't it part of it? Like he has a sort of uh, one of those uh, classic movie relationships where there's a, a younger girl that he ends up sort of almost being like a father figure for. Yeah, so this is the daughter or the niece of what the inventor that he goes and visits to fix oh, his plane. Oh, right, okay. And she actually turns out to be a, a little bit of a wizard on the old aerodynamics. I don't know what to say. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, there's some nice little character interactions and there's some... Michael Keaton kind of has this surliness which works well in the setting because everything else is so bright. He's quite good at anchoring the performance even though he's a pig. And yeah, I think it's really quite a hard one to pin down what it is. There's some unrequited love. Will will this Porco Rosso guy ever tell this lady that he loves her? All Difficult that sort of now stuff. he's a pig. I mean, let's be honest. Exactly, exactly. But I think it's just so fun and it's kind of worth seeing just for the bizarreness of it all. Okay, what's the grade? I'm going to give it a B plus. I really enjoyed it. Good. good I mean, the bits I've seen of it, and actually this is one I haven't seen all the way through. I've caught it on TV several times and just watched the end of it. And I do really want to watch it from start to finish. I certainly picked up those vibes you're talking about. Now, Phil, I, normally at this point I jump in with my third film, but should we do a couple of emails? Your second film. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I mean, the third film, my second. Correct. <laughs> 
Yeah, let's see some emails. Okay, well, quickly, uh, Esther got in touch, and it's a very short email for you. In fact, it's a tweet, Phil. She says, at Super Betty Bros, the lake house? Really, Phil? I, I'm i just going to pretend I didn't hear that. This was Phil's review last week, listeners, in which he confessed undying love for, well, everything about it. <laughs> Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves and the movie. I'm not going to apologise for who I am. <laughs> <laughs> well said, Phil. I love that movie. We also had another little tweet here from Susanna, which I liked. At Super Betty Bros, hashtag so relatable. And I think this is regarding when Harry met Sally and I discussed having shown it to friends and then just not getting it. And what she's put is a photo of a very, very sad Kermit curled up into a fetal position, basically, uh, saying when you show people a movie you love and they don't pay attention or react to any of the important scenes. We've talked about this on sad, the podcast, actually, haven't we? Kermit. When you look at the uh, the person you're showing at the exact moment when it's your favourite bit and then they just seem completely indifferent. You die a it, bit of a death, don't you? Yeah, it's like a part of your soul has been crushed. When you're quite right, Susanna, that is rather how I felt when I, I showed... When Harry met Sally to those friends because it's such it occupies such a special place for me. But wow, yeah, that was tough. Okay, and a final thing here from uh, Confucius, who's a big listener of our original show as well. Uh, he says, "Wow, that Twilight interview ending from what we've been watching bugged me so much." And he's oh, get, well, no, 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 don't worry. It's a different reason. He says it's because I, I was like, you know, he was like, um, she was like, and it's like, and he's doing an impression of Robert Pattinson there. I loved that. It made me laugh so much at the end of uh, last week's episode. So. No, I completely agree with you, Phil. Yeah, I, I don't I don't care how many likes he says as long as he keeps on slagging off Twilight <laughs> in such an entertaining way. It was so amazing hearing the guy who's literally famous for that fil- those films. Beloved by the fans. Basically be like, I don't get it. Yeah. In such a public way and unashamedly saying, this is kind of stupid. And that was a little sort of bonus track at the end of last week's show, listeners. So if you missed that, just go back to it and listen right at the end. And it's a fantastic compilation of Robert Pattinson's own thoughts on the series. And it's like over the years as well. It's like a massive compendium. Yeah. And he goes on, Q Fish is here to say, guys, um, just a quick note. I emailed back in April, again, to the original show, talking about The Lake House. And he said it's a remake of a Korean film uh, known as Il Mare, or I don't know how to pronounce this, Confucius, or Siwore, uh, back from 2000. And I think, Phil, you said you thought it was Spanish or something. Yes, I thank you. I remember you saying it now, now that you've reminded me. That's my mistake. My apologies. I knew that there was a foreign, it was based on a foreign film. Sorry, Confucius. Thank you very much for correcting. But this is great because it means listeners and you and I, Phil, can both go check out those Korean movies. I'm quite looking forward to doing so, in fact. But yes, uh, apologies. I, I said Spanish just because that was in my head. It's okay, Phil. It's all right, man. I'm Take sorry. I'm Take sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, we'll, we'll put those up on Twitter, listeners, so that you can... Because I'm sure I haven't pronounced them correctly, uh, but so that you can <laughs> chat them down too. And then final one here. He says, he finally noticed, actually, as we were talking, one major plot hole in the lake house that he's never spotted before. What's you ready that? for this, Phil? Yeah. He says, being two years apart on exactly the same day wouldn't work mathematically. Four years, maybe, but two, no. Because what about February 29th? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. I think, Confucius, you're forgetting that magic keeps <laughs> these people together. That's true. When That's true. When you're dealing with that level of sophistication, Confucius, they've obviously thought of every angle. Mm, you um, know, don't, don't argue magic true okay well there you go there's just a couple of emails listeners and we love it when you get in touch if you've got any similar comments or thoughts on movies that we review just get in touch and tell us so we we have had people get in touch and suggest films for us to review which we are certainly going to do i think we might try and do that in the next couple of weeks actually phil yeah it's going to be the christmas holidays we'll try and fit in a couple of movie watches exactly so just get in touch okay but moving on i shall take us through attack the block 
Because that's an alien, bruv. Believe it. And I landed in the wrong place, though. You get the wrong place. Well, <laughs> lads, you discovered a species hitherto unknown to science. Believe. Maybe there was a party at the zoo. Yo, check it. More. More what? Them things. Ah, oh, lovely fireworks. Mommy, it's an alien invasion. Of course it is. I'm killing them. I'm killing them straight. Let's get tooled up, blood. Quite sweet, really, aren't they? Oh, that's different. They ain't in the same thing. That looks triple the size blood. Everyone run! We need to get off the streets. Back in a block. What kind of alien would invade some council estate in South London? One that's looking for a fight. <laughs> What is that? This is sick. Oh, I've got one text left. This is too much madness to explain in one text. You have to call the police. You'd be better off calling the Ghostbusters, love. Gavin. My name ain't Gavin. It's Mayhem, and he's frogs. Arthur <laughs> kills us. No one is gonna ever call you me if you keep on acting like such a wussy. Yeah, you can tell. Oh, go ahead, Phil. Yeah, you get me, man. Fam, brap, brap, jack the block, yo. Nicely done, Phil. Good uh, urban street tough language. Weezer's gonna get absolutely peng. <laughs> Listeners, I think this film is a pretty joyous experience. We, I mean, we already love Adam and Joe, so we're predisposed to be big fans of Joe Cornish's first feature. But you know what? He earns it as well. And there's a reason why, after seeing this, J.J. Abrams wanted Joe to direct uh, the third Star Trek film. Is that real? That is the truth. Is that Sorry, real, fam? I'm still, I'm, still I'm still in my gangster mode. Sorry, let me just remember my roots. Yes. Hello. Hello. Yes, very good ah. film. This centres around a youth gang uh, based around a council estate who mug someone. They mug a nurse, they steal some stuff, and on the way home, uh, they encounter some kind of weird alien thing. And being (laughs) the tough lads they are, they go and beat it up, destroy it, drag it back to the block, and show it off like a little trophy. But as things turn out, that isn't the only alien that was uh, coming to visit Earth. On fireworks night, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So a lot of people sort of don't realise what's going on for a while. And without unknowingly, they get embroiled in a sort of bitter first contact scenario where these really interestingly designed aliens chase them down. And straight up, it's got uh, that kind of... I don't actually know what the word is for this, Phil, so I'm going to try and describe it anyway. It has real stakes in the action. Even though these are kids talking like that and being real sort of caricatures of themselves, the aliens wipe some of them out. It's one of those films that you used to hear kids talk about at the, on the playground when you were quite young, saying, no way, and, the, you know, and that guy, he gets, you know, gets taken apart. You know what I mean? Mm. And I have to say I love that. You can tell that uh, Joe Cornish has a great sense of nostalgia for the old-style films that featured a young group of protagonists who were just trying to deal with life the best way they knew how. Even something like Stand By Me, for example, there's a, a very slight similarity. There's genuine peril. Exactly. You don't quite know what's going to happen to these guys. There's a real chance they could be caught up in something they don't understand. But because they're young and because they're in a gang, they are going to attack it just like they would in this film with a weird sort of bravado. And it's interesting because they use the youth as an excuse, basically, for them not to realise the danger they're in. Yeah, Which exactly. actually fits well with their character. 
Yeah, that's right. And also, it means that the block is transformed. You know, I've never seen a council estate a better shot than this. It does genuinely turn it into quite a sci-fi, almost zombie apocalypse type scenario where all the people leave the block as soon as they can, or either that or the doors are locked, so you're stuck in concrete hallways with flickering lights, or you're having uplit great big shots of this towering sort of monstrosity. And, you know, I think it's pretty clever. It manages to be a social comment as well, as an awesome little monster horror comedy thing. What do you think of John Boyega in the film? Yeah, he's great. He plays Moses, who's this gang leader, and I think he's brilliant. He gives a, little, a lot of depth to this guy. He's in some ways quite a simple character. He's a tough guy. He has a very difficult home life, and so he acts out in the rest of his life by being a, a criminal, basically, stealing stuff. But when it comes to it, actually, he's sort of been longing for a chance to be worth something to people. And the film gives him those opportunities. It also gives him sort of snares along the way, like opportunities to make the wrong choice or make the right choice. And it's great fun watching him try and figure out who he really is. And John Boyega's crucial to that. I think his eyes tell a great story, that guy. What about uh, Nick Frost is in the movie, isn't he? Yeah, you're not a fan. I already know of Nick Frost, Phil. No, he does. I, I basically he played one role in uh, the boat that rocked. Yeah, and it was quite a controversial role because of some things that happened in that movie. Quite, quite right too. And I've seen up to that point and I switched it off. Yeah, basically, I just thought the guys. Maybe I'm I'm wrong to say this, but I thought that I just lost trust in him really? as a comedic actor because I thought he's just a bit nasty. Just ugh. Well, you know, I don't think this film will change your opinion, really, because he plays uh, a quite a sleazy guy in this as well. Yeah, drug dealer um, who already knows these young guys and sort of plays a part in encouraging them to get involved in drug dealing as well. So he's, he's, not, he's a nasty piece of work and he, he is there for comic relief to kind of joke around. But I think he's kind of nominal, really. The people you focus on are John Boyega and Jodie Whittaker as well. Are you familiar with Jodie Whittaker, Phil? She was in Broadchurch. She was the mum in Broadchurch. Yeah, and she was also recently the star of a small British independent film called Adult Life Skills, which I didn't particularly like. But I do like Jodie Whittaker in this a lot. She plays the nurse who is mugged and has to end up being part of this gang. Because that's the only way she's going to be safe. Yeah, the only way she's going to survive. And that, and that, you know, it's classic odd couple stuff. They get thrown together and they have to sort of reconcile. Uh, one way or the other. A shout out has to go to the script writing because they really took a risk in attempting to do that lingo you just displayed for us, Phil, because it could so easily come off as cringy and annoying or patronising or just hard to understand. And I think indeed in America, there were some people who struggled to get through the sort of London street language, but it is sort of relatively authentic, I thought. It feels like it's sort of poking fun at it, but at the same time, committing to it as the way that they're going to talk to each other. Yeah, and with a little bit of respect. And there are a few good gags that come out of it. And it also, you have to give credit to the young cast as well. These guys are almost all sort of unknowns, I think, aren't they? Quite young guys. But you believe their friendships and you believe their sort of weird idiosyncrasies, like the one guy who for no reason has a samurai sword or the other guy (laughs) who perpetually has his hood up over his head and the other guy who's got the big square glasses and he's clearly the sort of geek, but also the tough guy. Do you know what I mean? Like it's... Mm. I think it's just very well written. I think it's got innovative cinematography and just vision in the direction. Like the opening shot as it pans up above the tube station, I've never sort of seen London like that before. Mm. It's a new perspective on it. I think it's funny. I think the monster design is good and innovative, especially when working with a small budget. Uh, And, you know, it's just really good. This is the sort of film I have no hesitation in saying, support British film. Let's have more like this. Let's have less like adult life skills. Mm. The one thing, there was one element in the film which I didn't like, Nick Frost, but also there's the posh guy. Oh, you don't like him? No, I thought he was over the top. He was, having had a kind of 
a streetwise gang to have somebody so overtly sort of the other end who's coming to the block and trying to buy drugs and things. I just thought that was a bit, it was just badly pitched. It wasn't the right tone. Well, this is a guy called Luke Treadaway, and he's been in a few things, actually. Clash of the Titans, Unbroken, he was in as well. Um, and he plays, plays a guy called Bruis. I think, Phil, probably that is uh, Joe Cornish writing himself into it a little bit. That would be my impression. And slightly caricaturizing himself. Yeah, taking the mick out of himself and people like him because this is a posh guy who wants to get in touch with the street, isn't it? And he wants to feel a little bit on the edge. But in reality, he's using his dad's money and driving his dad's car. And that, in a way, is quite a clever meta joke because it sort of apologizes for the fact that this is Joe Cornish, a privately educated, successful comedian writing about urban youth culture, right? Yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I just think it's a bit too knowing and it's about, okay. it's about addressing wider context stuff rather than actually needing to be in the film. And I just think, actually, if they focus on this little crew of young guys, it'd be much better. Okay. Well, listen, I reckon it's really good. I, would, I think I'm going to give it an A-, just slight entrapment there. I really enjoyed it and... I think most people would really love it too. But, you know, don't be surprised about the content. It is about young thugs, basically, who have a chance to be something bigger than they are. And I think it's fair to say it's not it's not a comedy film. It probably is a horror film. It's funny, but it's not a comedy. It's, it, I'd say it's more action-adventure, actually, than even horror. But there is some horror, horror elements in, in it, if I remember. A couple of moments. There's some sort of prosthetics that get done. Yeah, just, that way. but I mean, just, just so people are aware. Sure. And I had to, one other final call-out is there's a scene where people are led out of the block in handcuffs, which is shot in slow motion. And it always recalls to me um, the scene in Die Hard, uh, which I really like towards the end. I think that particular scene in slow-mo is shot really well. And it's a powerful little moment. So anyway, that's it. Mm, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I've yeah, talked no. too long. Phil, what's your final film? Well, that's Die Hard, isn't it? So oh, yeah. you've just taken away <laughs> some of my stuff. Thanks very much. It's Christmas Eve in LA. California. Is Daddy coming home, Sue? Well, we'll see what Santa and Mommy can do, okay? A New York cop, John McLean, has come to see his wife. Instead... He's going to have to save her. Sit down. Within this skyscraper high above the city, 12 terrorists have declared war. They're about to be to a lesson in the real use of power. There is brilliant. Because I am interested in the $640 million in your vault. As they are ruthless. And I'm telling you, you're just going to have to kill me. Okay. We do it the hard way. Now, the last thing McLean wants... Think, damn it, think! ...is to be a hero. Where's Howie? Black Tucker! Where? But he doesn't have a choice. What does he think he's doing? John. They have already killed one hostage. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Hey pal, how you feeling? 
guy to like. Come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs. And a hard man to kill. Bruce Willis, Die Hard. Got invited to the Christmas party by mistake. Who knew? Woo, Die Hard! Die Hard! <laughs> yeah, I feel like in some ways everything has already been said about this movie but i'm gonna say some more because it's a great movie it's what we all want to hear man come on <laughs> this movie is as the trailer said set just before christmas john mcclain has gone over to try and reconcile with his wife he's at an office christmas party Janeiro. perfect place to go and try and you know talk the talk and see if you can get things going again and while he's there at this office christmas party in nakatomi tower John McClane, played by Bruce Willis, suddenly finds himself in a very bizarre situation where he is the only person who's managed to evade some terrorists who are attacking the building and go almost undetected. And then his his role as a police officer kicks in and he realises he's the only person who can do anything about the situation. And it's a great movie. It is a great movie. It is good. And I think, you know, you probably don't need us to tell you that if you've seen it. It's There's something about it uh, that has massive crossover appeal uh, it, spe- it speaks to a lot of people even the, the violence isn't that bad the language isn't even that bad the comedy is pretty good and it's got a big beating heart to it hasn't it the thing with the film that I think is so impressive is the fact that it's an action film and the action is really big scale but the character at the centre of it is very regular and very ordinary and very relatable Yeah, there's something really powerful in Bruce Willis's performance he's funny he's snarky he sort of is is a little bit distraught at the situation he's in but at the same time he kind of gets almost delirious and, and in his delirious state is when he starts making these wisecracks just to cope when he's in the uh, elevator shaft and he's like yeah well, get together have a few oh, that's drink. in the um, vent the air vent yeah. yeah exactly the elevator shaft and it's amazing the the steps that they take to really make him a vulnerable weak guy so that it that much more impressive when he finally kicks into gear and starts basically being a great action hero it's amazing what losing your pair of shoes will do yeah to your day it seems for john mcclain and i think that's a fantastic little observation just a little bit of glass suddenly on your feet is causing you major problems and you can't help but relate to the guy because that's a term which you can actually deal with everyone steps on a pin or something yeah or, yeah, or yeah. got a cut or got a little bit of glass in their hands or or on, on their toe or something like that and it is awful and so therefore you can really get into the mindset of being in this dire situation well and also i mean the basics of emotional elements like he's on the wrong side of his wife isn't he like in the sort of in the middle of trying to reconcile and also his colleagues don't really respect him because he's a bit of a live wire yeah it's it's just a really well written movie and a really well performed movie this is also the screen debut of alan rickman yeah can you believe it's, it? it's just amazing because it is right out the gate very first film and he absolutely nails it it's probably one of his most famous roles there is a super iconic villain yeah Hans Gruber and it's great he has the perfect mix of uh, refinement and uh, humour and intensity to his performance you feel like he is leading this group of men these big hunky men but you feel like he's earned that role and yet he has fun with it he's sort of chewing the scenery but in a kind of classy way 
And uh, just a little aside, I said this uh, on the BBC Oxford show, but he does one of the best ho ho ho's I've ever heard. <laughs> I wonder if you can find it. Yeah, I'll pop it here. Ho ho ho! Absolutely classic. Do your impression again. Oh, oh, oh! Good stuff, man. That is good. It's just it's so Alan Rickman, isn't it? I think it speaks volumes that he broke out of that role into the career that he's had, which is hugely varied. I mean, people who play bad guys like that, who are sort of camp and larger than life, basically are just forever cast in that sort of role again, or at least as a kind of pantomime character. And obviously, I mean, he's done Snape, hasn't he? But he, he's been in so much else. I, the quality is just undeniable. You can see it. He's just made for the screen, and um, yeah, it was really sad he missed this year. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I enjoyed seeing his his performance again. And I thought he's a perfect sort of foil to John McClane. Yeah, and uh, and it's 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 a really well organized movie because it really moves John McClane around the building. It's it's kind of the perfect setup because it's just big enough that you you can have a variety of situations for your action hero to be in, but just claustrophobic enough that you feel trapped and like you can't escape these these guys with guns. Yeah, and you slightly feel like they had fun planning it. They thought, well, how many more ways can we use this building? What other scenarios can we come up with that you know we can link up exactly and uh, the thing which struck me is actually a really little bizarre little moment and i don't know if you'll remember this and it's i apologize but basically there's a bit where he walks past through the building he walks past a a sort of naughty calendar on the wall oh yeah and he's like oh this is a bit weird and then he carries on and i think it's a brilliant little piece of filmmaking because it that that poster comes back up again later on the movie and what it does is it orientates you into where the where in the building he is it kind of it's using a tiny little thing basically to say right this is where he is now so you're getting a lay of the land even though it's a building and there's not really much to it and it's often a an uncompleted building that he's in and yet it's just clever filmmaking to make sure that the audience knows where you are what what he's doing what the stakes are it just plays out really well and it's not confusing is it no and i think it's amazing seeing how action movies are constantly kind of going back to this as a, a kind of a defining moment in the genre. Which you know what I think is also really clever about this is the sort of perfect cocktail it has of supporting characters as well. And these are all cliches that you'll find in other movies, but rarely are they balanced so well together and rarely is the screen time, you know, apportioned so well as well. So you've got Argyle down in the basement uh, his sort of loudmouth guy who doesn't even realise what's going on. The limo driver, yeah. Exactly. But you've also got Sergeant Powell on the ground, the sort of overly emotional speech-making cop. Slightly schlubby Yeah, cop. exactly. Who's his buddy? You've got Holly, you know, dealing with all the hostages as well. And you've Ellis. got her annoying colleague, yeah. Yeah, he's-, he's brilliantly cast, that guy. Like, he's trying to make a business deal and try and save the day in a big shot way and he learnt, you know pays the price for it but then you've also got the FBI guys who play sort of blocks of wood basically and quite badly at that uh, and uh, the reporter as well the um, the guy who brings in the press which mm. makes a big you forget how many different moving pieces there are actually and how wide and broad a film it is given that most of it takes place in this one and building. even the terrorists who don't even say anything lots of them still yeah. feel like they've got personality character and they they just take the time to say these are different people and it helps to basically show the progress that John McClane makes throughout the film because you see him gradually start taking the advantage away from the terrorists and start sort of shifting the scales. It's a great totally. balanced movie. I completely agree. Really well directed. That's John McTiernan uh, who directed that. And I think you have to say, as we've said before, excellently edited as well because you don't notice it, but the film moves at a breathtaking pace. 
and it feels very efficient, very thought through. Really well balanced. No wasting. And that's John F. Link and Frank J. Uriosti, <laughs> if you're big into editors, guys. You're giving the name checks, aren't you? I'm doing my best with IMDb in front of me, Phil. <laughs> yeah. Laurie, I feel like you've uh, got some stuff that you want to say about it, or have you covered it all? Oh, I've thrown it in there, Phil. I mean, this is this is your one. You round it off. Oh, is it mine? Is it? Oh, don't be <laughs> like that. It's, a, it's such a good film that you need to chip in, don't you? I think uh, so. I'm going to give this film an A. I think it's a great action movie. I'm not a huge action movie sort of fan. I don't think it's sort of... I'm not that sort of sold on Predator or things like that. Mm. I don't love it just for the sake of loving it. But I think this film is particularly brilliant. And it's it just gets it right from top to bottom. All the ways, that, all the levels it could get it right, it gets it right. There you go. Nice work, Phil. And a great one for a, a sort of almost Christmas edition too. Oh, it is a Christmas movie. Are we going to do that, Phil? Those are our four movie systems. Do let us know your thoughts. Superbellybros at gmail.com or at Superbellybros on Twitter. Are we going to do a sort of Christmas special? Well, we are doing a Christmas special for BBC Oxford, actually. That's which right. Which you can check out. We're going to tweet out the link. Uh, do check us out on Twitter if you want to get information about that. But uh, I think it's the 27th or the 28th of December. That's when the show will be going out live, so we'll do our best to make you aware of that. But what about for what we've been watching? What we've been watching? Uh, maybe we'll do like a Christmas special and just run through some of the... Well, maybe our top five Christmas movies, and we'll say a little bit about do each. A proper review because we didn't get much time to do that in the uh, BBC Oxford, did we? No, but but yeah, yeah, that that'd be good. Well, wait and see, listeners. We'll keep you abreast <laughs> of all abreast. relevant info. Uh, great to speak to you, and have a lovely weekend. Yes, have a lovely <laughs> weekend. All right, bye, guys. Cheers, guys. Thanks. <laughs>